You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast, another pack one today, starting with Chris Cooley. Chris and I go over the offense, the defense, and everything you want to know about what's going on on the field, and then it's Redskins tight end Vernon Davis talking about the emotions of playing last week, a day after learning about his grandfather's death, and then it's me answering your mailbag questions. But first, my interview with Chris Cooley. All right, now I have the master of the film and the guy who's as smart as anybody, Chris Cooley, joining me on the podcast here. Um, you don't have to snicker at that because it's true. Um, but I, before we kind of look back at all at the Eagles game, I really kind of want to use that to look ahead to, to the Dallas game because that's what matters here. And I want to start with, I think the defense was supposed to be the bedrock here, the foundation of this team. And they were anything but that in the second half. So moving forward, what are a couple of things that you saw from that game that you said you've got to clean this up if you want to, to have a chance against this passing attack? Well, let's move forward, I guess, before we move back. Yeah. But I, I think that they have to simplify what they're doing a little bit on defense. I think they had a lot of miscues and misunderstandings and some blown coverages and some looks even in coverage where it, even if you're playing coverage the right way, you're still giving up big gaps and big spaces. So understanding where you are in coverage. We, you and I were just sitting and talking right. about a third nine from the Eagles game. and I think that's a really good example. Right. They're, they're playing a version of an inverted cover two type of look. Okay. And so in normal cover two, you'd have your safeties as deep halves right. and your corners would be the flat players. Well, they brought Monte down in the flat and then Clint Dunbar's playing the deep half on that side. And that's not a common place for that safety to play a lot of times. And so... I haven't Wentz, seen Monte Wentz, do that Wentz much steps at all. Out and kind of looks at the flat, and Monte's running up to play the flat player. It's a third and nine. We want you to throw. We want right. him to throw that flat because you got to believe that your defense can rally and tackle and try to get them in a fourth and three, fourth and four situation. Now maybe Peterson goes for it in that world. Maybe you're thinking about that, but Dunbar's way too soft and too concerned as the two corner on that side or the two high, the deep half player, and, and Monte's too far up, and that's a big gap. And that's not a blown coverage. That's just a poorly played coverage. Right. And so I think there was a lot of varieties of, of poorly played coverages and instances on some of the bigger plays, well, and like then some in, blown coverages. And there was that inverted, I believe it was like, it looked like an inverted Tampa 2 on the first touchdown to Deshaun. Is that, was that what that Yeah, that was, that, was another, uh, that was another version of inverted 2 where right. Norman's going to play the deep half. And a lot of times, and teams are doing this across the league and a lot in college football, and they'll roll the safeties down, right. and the safety will a lot of times play like the Tampa linebacker, right. or that middle of the field player. And in that instance, they roll both the safeties down hard, and they let Sean Dion Hamilton right. run to the deep middle. And he jumped a dig route in the right. middle, and you're thinking, Sean, we just have two safeties down in front of you to play that dig route. Like, you got to be back. 
So you got guys playing all over the field, which is hard for quarterbacks to read. So I understand the disguise. Right. I understand the idea of deception. But every quarterback reads wide open receiver. And so that's the thing right. is if, if you play it really well, you can create turnovers, you can get picks, you can get plays on the ball. If you play it poorly, it's just an open receiver. So especially if a quarterback doesn't necessarily know, you go, wow, I, my guy flashed, here we go. And so that's something that they'll have to clean up on the back end. And, and if they don't, you know, I think that they have corners to play a straight three type of look at times. That's what I thought they were going to do more of because they do seem to have that kind of style where they can, right? I mean, that's with Josh and Quentin. They, that should be what they are good at, correct? Yeah, well, Josh is the three-corner that plays right. the vision of the quarterback. And I, and I think that you got to believe that Quentin, even if you don't trust totally vision or, or something, you play a three-lock where you're locking Dunbar on that side. There's certain things that you can do with him in that, those instances. But they were incredibly versatile with the coverage calls and with the, with the diversity of coverage in the back end. And I think moving forward, it'll be a big emphasis to stop the run game and focus on how you stop the run game. And I think if you really want to do it in that way, you just have to simplify some of the back end with coverage. Which would also benefit what happened, benefit them from what Sure, and I would assume that they want to at least, if you simplify it now, you still want to start adding to it as guys get comfortable with these calls. Is that would you agree with that, or, or would you just say simplify it going forward, or just like cut a, cut peel away a little bit and build on that instead of throwing it all right well, away? I think there's always that week one thing as well, where you've had so much time as a coaching staff and a lot of time with your players mm -hmm. too get ready to do a lot of fun things. It was almost like Jay's offense last year where you yeah. saw like all the diversity and all the different things. <laughs> yeah, and, right. and I mean, and none of it tied. You know, like none of it really tied and pulled mm -hmm. together last year. It seemed like a lot of ideas. And so when I looked at the defense, I, I felt like I looked at a defense that had a lot of fun ideas, but it didn't necessarily have a, a connective plan right. in terms of exactly what you were doing and. And it's also a defense, if you watch them last week, that had checks to everything. Yeah. They were checking all over the yeah. field. Like, you, you look at the blown coverage where I think Moreland gave up the, 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 yeah. a deep ball. To Never 100% short. I don't know exactly how they were going to play that. I mean, you could say that they were going to do something differently, but Jimmy Moreland's got his hands up at his sides looking around before multiple the play. Multiple times. Multiple times going, mm -hmm. hey, 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 hey. And so you're thinking, are those coverage checks that they're missing? And, and defenses across the league do this to formations. They say, hey, it's, just right. like, it's just like offense. We've got to check with me. We've got two plays called in the huddle. If they give us a certain formation or look, we're going to go one. If they give us the other formation or look, we're going to go to number two. And so they have all these calls and checks. Um, and the funny thing is on that play, like I understand, like sometimes I know teams use the, the motion, the jet sweep and all that to, to basically go from a three-by-one to a two-by-two two mm -hmm. and to force you to check. On that play, there was none of that. That's what was a little bit confusing to me is that there was no motion, I believe, on that mm -hmm. play. Yeah, and I guess what I'm thinking with our defense is essentially like an offensive check with me where you see the quarterback go to the line and say, kill, 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 or right. can, 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 or whatever they say. It, it's just based on the front. And so defensively, your checks aren't always – your checks might be based on three by one or two by two, but they give you three by one and your initial call would have been two by two, so you check it. Um, it was a lot, it seemed like they were doing a lot. Yeah. And it, it seemed like they weren't doing a lot really, really well. I think they have good players, I think they have good talent. Um, I, I think that you, you moving forward, 
you have to simplify some. And the other thing moving forward is they have to get after the passer. That I don't know if bad. it would have mattered on a couple of those plays, but they have to be able to get after the quarterback. Yeah, and that was there were a couple of times I think on one of the touchdowns where Ryan was like almost right there, but you're not getting home. And then a couple of times they they lost that the the, the lane discipline too to let him get outside the pocket and hurt them. But yeah, no, there there was very little pass rush, and I thought. You know, I wondered if they would try to stunt more. I wondered if they would send more of the inside guys. And they sent Holcomb a couple times, and he almost got there one time, or at least created, at least pushed him back. So I was surprised. But looking at Dallas, too, with like, because they're coming off a really, really good first game with the ball, and, you know, with passing the ball, and Dak Prescott looked really good. The receivers are bright, you know. I also thought the Giants' coverage sucked, to be honest. But you look at you look <laughs> it at did, it, it, did. it was terrible. There were times like there were multiple times like how are you not throwing like there there were like, I don't know if it was it almost looked like an RPO, but like um, I can't remember which play it was. But the, you know Cooper's on the inside and the the, the D back is like eight yards off, and it's like a third and second and short or something like that. And it's like you're gonna he's going right over the middle because there's no linebackers dropping. It was just it was ridiculously easy at times for them. But what does Cooper do? Like, what what has stood out to you about like uh, Amari Cooper? Amari Cooper can be man-to-man coverage, yeah. and Amari Cooper can also take the top of the defense. And, he find, and, and you add that he's very good after the catch, yeah. and so he's a very versatile player that you have to pay attention to at all times. I don't know just yet if Amari Cooper fully dictates coverage, like if he has that ultimate mm-hmm. speed to fully dictate coverage. But he's got enough that you. you are going to pay attention to him at all times. And so that's where you see Michael Gallup getting softer, easy coverage yeah. on the other side, or some of their players getting some, some easy looks. The other thing with Dallas, the, the, the run game is so imposing yeah. that you have to play eight-man boxes, yeah. or you have to play seven-man boxes to 11 personnel. Right. It's really, really hard to play them without having an extra player in it the is. box. And, and I think the Giants were doing that, obviously, because that's when you got to stop Zeke first. And these guys are going to try and stop Zeke first and foremost, too. The other thing I like about Cooper, too, is that he, he feels, it feels like he has a good sense of the coverage and where the guys like. There were a couple of times he had one deep comeback where it almost looks like now he's turned to, um, he's going to try and get you deep. The corner almost looks like he starts to bail, loses sight of him, and he immediately comes back. Yeah, he and he's he's really good with patience in his routes. Yeah. That's the oh, one thing off I would the say line, Cooper, is he has a ton of patience yeah. in his routes, and he's a disciplined route runner. He gets where he's ex- where you want him to be, where you expect yeah. him to be, and that's the kind of player that he's. he runs watching. routes with a lot of discipline. I enjoyed watching him last year just for that reason. There was a play against the Giants off the line, very patient, and I think he beats the guy deep. Um, just, but it starts with the patience at the line. Um, with with the pass rush, what would you like to see more of going forward besides success? Is there some way that you can say these guys just have to win one-on-one, or do you say that there's something more they can do to generate more? You'd love to see Kerrigan and Montez get more individual pressure, and when they sub it out, you'd love to see Casanova and Ryan Anderson he's got to be better when he's in the ball game as well. So you'd love to see more impactful rushes from those guys. I, I don't think Montez Sweat transitioned to power rush as well as I expected him to, to do. And, and a lot of that may be the speed of the game, the size of the left tackle. A, a left tackle that's setting quicker now all right. of a sudden you're, you're thinking, ah, I was going to speed rush and this dude is in my spot at five yards. How quickly can you correlate that in your mind to transition that into a power rush? 
because he didn't have enough bull or powerful rushes right. to scare anybody into really setting a firm edge. And so he, that's a tough position. It takes some time in that position. It I takes think, a too. lot of time to learn how to be a rusher too. It almost like, and I had people here tell me that he's still thinking when he's rushing. He oh, there's no, there's literally, yeah. there's no doubt about yeah. that. And I think, I really do think one of the biggest parts of that is the tackles in this league set with depth quicker than tackles in college football, and, yeah, the, and, the, and they pass that so much more now. Well, and he also was going up against he was going up against Jason Peters too in that first game. You know, yeah, that's a, that's a that's a massive challenge, yeah. and and those are two very good tackles. And they'll have one this week. And they're going to have one this week. And they're <laughs> going to have one almost every yeah. single. I mean, you're going to play guys with good tackles, and if you play teams that don't have good tackles, then you're going to get chipped by the backs, and you're going to bump banged by the tight ends and. You have to have a plan and you have to have an idea of, of how you're going to rush the passer. I, I would have expected some more interior rush from the guys. I know that the Eagles are good up front. Um, That's, I was and I know that Kelsey's a very good player. And they subbed in Vitae in the second half and he did a good job. Uh, maybe Duran once or twice had some, some pressures. Maybe Matt Ioannidis had one bull rush. I think he had you, one. You, you had no backers free. Um, and I thought that the Eagles backs did a pretty good job of picking up some of the blitzes yeah, and looks. Yeah. But that's another thing when you start thinking about third and long is you really – I always think if I was a defensive play caller, the first stop I would make is the offensive coordinator's office and say, okay, they're going three by one, two by whatever, then they're going to set their back on this side. What, what are the problems in your mind right. that the back's got to go through and the quarterback's got to go through in terms of checking Mike if I can get you to check him as a Mike linebacker, where can I rush away from that? And I think those are some things that you, you have to learn from because a lot of times offensive or defensive players and coaches focus so solely on what they're trying to do versus what the offense is trying to do to them right. or what creates problems for the offense. Um, so that's something that they really need to think about is what is going to create problems to get free rushers? You know, it's funny because when I, I did this story a couple weeks ago talking to Kyle, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur about various offenses and defensive coordinators that get in problems, one of the things that Kyle talked about with Vic Fangio is how he attacks your personnel and how he's like, he's going to game plan do his stuff, but he's really going to do it tailored to what you do more than anybody else. And I, he's like, that's, you know, but that, those are the kind of guys that, that you want to pick their brain because then you can get a deeper insight as to maybe how to then attack them. You know what I mean? And, and I think that's something that um, I would and wonder. Exactly. And, and how people will attack you as well. Right. You know, if I'm looking at our defense right now and John comes back, let's say John, John right. does come back in the game, I'm going to be in 11 personnel 80% of the time. Sure. And I'm going to run zone run plays because I think that those guys are penetrating type of players, but they're also not massively big guys. And right. so if I could just get them moving laterally, all it takes is for one to play behind a gap or out of a gap. Or linebacker to mystery things, and that's what that's where just that's where the Eagles really gashed the Redskins. They had those two couple big runs on that one. Right? They gashed them in, in gun run situations, mm -hmm. um, and so I'm looking at what my weaknesses are as what as much as what some of my strengths are, and they they're going to have to focus on that. Now, it, that's just a John doesn't come back. Right. Then I don't know if if there was enough, and we expected so much as Redskins fans. From the rest of the depth of that yeah, group, yeah, that's supposed to be the strength. And, and so if, I think you're looking at a Dallas team that'll have obviously a two tight package or twelve package, yeah. and, and have some some downhill runs at Brantley or Settle or the sure. double teams on those players, and they'll have a, a semblance of a zone run package out of out of eleven personnel or some gun run stuff. It would be hard not to go gun run and, and run some zone stuff based on the looks that Philly provided. After this break. 
Chris and I go over the Redskins offense, the run game, the pass game, and Kevin O'Connell's influence. Let's switch to the other side of the ball, offense in the run game. And I don't want to get into the whole Adrian was inactive in the first week right. thing. I want to, again, look forward with this because now clearly it looks like he's going to be carrying the ball for a couple weeks. What do you expect from him? I, the thing I like about Adrian Peterson is he gets downhill right now and mm-hmm. he's able to make a guy miss and he's a one-cut player. Mm-hmm. He, he is He's a tough runner who can have success in, in, in different schemes. He, the, the, there were times throughout last year that I think he missed a lot of cuts. And sure. I, I, I think that whenever you're running multiple schemes in the run game, and which is what the Redskins do. They do a lot. They, they don't run zone, inside-outside zone. or They don't run a power run game. Right. They, they run everything. Right. And so it's not uncommon for your, for your back to miss some cuts in those situations. But Adrian gives you the benefit of getting, you know, Two, three, four, or making one guy miss and getting the bigger play. Do you think? But I don't think Darius. I don't. I don't, I don't want to take anything away from right. Darius either in that game. And a lot was made of his eighteen yards on ten carries, and you know one was a draw that was a, a loss of five where Fletcher right. Cox just destroyed the backfield. <laughs> right, so right, right. I mean, let's are, say you got ten on that play right. instead of minus five. There it's were, a little bit different. There were also a couple runs I think um, where. There's a pulling guard who gets bumped into the hole. There's a, there's uh, yeah. there are guys who are losing the blocks. There's a run down in the red zone where I think if I don't know if it was I can't remember if it was Moses or one of those guys, if they make if you make your block in space. Oh, it was, it was Sprinkle. I was going to ask you about it too. There's yeah. a there's a corner in space and like in Sprinkle's there. I couldn't tell where Darius supposed to cut, but the block wasn't made for whatever reason. And that, I don't know. If, right. I didn't think Darius really missed anything. Okay. I didn't think Darius. I I, I mean obviously. You can see when a guy makes something incredible happen, and, and it, we all know that he didn't make anything right. incredible happen, but I didn't think that there was a bunch of misses in the run right. game. I actually thought Darius did a really nice job in the pass game. He was excellent in terms protection. of picking up protection excellent. And, and checking out quickly and making himself uh, available as an eligible. I think on the McLaurin touchdown, I think he had a blitz pick Huge up on Huge blitz pick so up on play was, And, and the, the technique, the form was great. I mean, it's everything that you watch him out here doing on those machines, you know. So I, I don't, I agree with that. But with the run game, and you brought up the defense being more, you know, maybe simplifying a little bit. If they're doing all this stuff, are there some things that maybe they should say, we don't do this as well, let's start to simplify a little bit of the run game or not try to do, to be so many things. I don't think they'll do that. I don't think they that's really my answer. That's okay. the long and short of it. I don't think <laughs> yeah. that they'll do that. Um, but at the same time, you never know game plan wise. I think they had a game plan for Philly that they loved last week, and it was awesome. They executed it right. the script. They got Philly to change coverage late in the second quarter. Philly was going to all what any coach or whatever was called as two cut coverage, and they were going to have more big looks like the one they got to Terry in the, in the second half of that game. They just couldn't get to him. And they had some penalties that killed them. And the case, I think Case missed a couple things late. There was a third down and long that he could have thrown Vernon White open on the sideline that would have converted. Yes. And you, but you say those things, and this is again looking back, and you say, those are the things that change games. And the case was a case was really really good. But Carson Wentz converts on a third and fifteen in a critical spot in the game out of the pocket and finding Ertz down the field instead of throwing it underneath. Right. That was the play we needed right. that would have right. equaled that same type of Absolutely. play. You need those types of plays. 
especially when you get in backed up situations. And that play is the play that gets you back into rhythm. With that offense, because one thing, and I don't know, Jay, everybody, people around the league that you talk to give Jay a lot of credit for how he designs the passing game. Um, what have you seen Kevin have an influence on that at all? And the other thing I want to ask you, well, first of all, let me just. I'll answer that right yeah. now. The run game looked like the pass game. Your play actions were off of your key run type of plays. Which is different. And they did a really good job formationally creating confusion for the Eagles. They went with some tight sets, some bump sets, yeah. and some motion sets. And the Eagles really had no clue what was coming next. And so I thought there was a really, really nice rhythm offensively. And I thought it was an offense that that had looks that you couldn't say this is a formation they're going to run this out of. Right. They looked, it looked the same. It all looked the same. It all tied together. It was planned. It was, it, and, and it's funny because we talked about this defense was the defense you thought was going to be the planned out, structured defense that's going to be the strong point. And this offense has been kind of a, a, a mismatch of right. things that you want to do put together throughout games. And it was the opposite of it that. was complete. And I, I mean, I was, it's funny because I was on the Redskins Showtime last week and I was watching myself last night just to kind of study my own tape. But oh, just, you do that. I can't. I, I, can't I, I hate that. watching myself. It's I'll be the honest. worst. It is, it is painful to watch. But the one, I just like, well, what, what did I say and how did it play out? And like, my thing was, it's too early for this game because the offense is just not at a place where they can execute against this kind of defense. And like, that was the whole first half, just blew whatever my theory was out of the water for that reason. But the other thing is, too, that I really enjoy watching this pass game, the way that they open things up over the middle, the way they get the linebackers to widen in the middle and they get divert eyes where the linebackers or the safeties and create those openings for big plays. And that's one thing I don't know, you know, and that seems to be Jay's offense, but that's what I also wondered about with Kevin's influence as well, if you see it in that area at all. I saw it especially in first and second down situations. Mm -hmm. and, and I think even though they haven't always been a good conversion third down offense, I think Jay's a pretty good designer in terms of a lot of the third down stuff and, mm -hmm. and creating tough looks for defenses and high-low reads where you, you put guys in binds. I think Jay's done a, a pretty good job with that third down situations. The thing I, again, the problem I had last year, let's call it a problem, <laughs> the concern I had was the balance and the rhythm yeah. and, the, and the style in which the offense operated was, I thought, a little bit too, I'm trying to think of the proper word here for this without saying, I think, it, I think they were guessing too much offensively last okay. year as to what, yeah. what they wanted to do and when and what defenses were they were going to get. And I think this year, did, at least in the first week, they really had a good plan that tied together. So do you look at them differently going forward then after watching them Sunday? If they stay healthy, I, I think absolutely. With the addition of guys like Terry McLaurin, I think Carmen added some things. And if, if you get Jordan back, that that's another game plan problem for guys. But really, Terry's going to change the offense more than anybody else as of right now. But no one had film on Terry. That's a thing. That's no one knew that Terry was going to step on their toes the way he stepped on their toes and get over the top the way he did that. It was just a rookie receiver wearing number 17 out there. And it, so Dallas is going to say, okay, this kid can fly. Yeah. That's what. That's a big thing going forward, too, is now you – because they, they clearly seem to hide him this summer for a reason, the preseason game, because, like, I – you know, and even I think – who was talking about the – Chris Thompson was like, I've never seen a rookie treated the way – Terry was where I know the one game he had. He's your one receiver. I know. They knew that. They knew that. And and I think they knew that they didn't want to show that off right away because sure. he clearly can do that. And as an Ohio State guy, I didn't even see his speed until last year watching the games. And then I was shocked when he ran at the combine because you didn't know that he was that fast watching those games. Now you see it. And I also think he's a better route runner than he when he was in the when college last year. 
um, and he seemed to be able to, you know. Yeah, and they didn't run, I, and I don't want this to sound in any way a slight to Ohio State or to yeah. Dwayne, but they didn't run a lot at Ohio no. State. They, they really did it. They were very simple. They had a simple package, a lot of crossing routes, a lot of short and underneath Absolutely. type of routes, and they didn't have as many diverse, you got to cross the safety or corner's face to get over the top downfield type of stuff. Unless it was, you know, a play action right. here and there, and and they also have five guys at Ohio State. They had a lot of guys who can all play their butt yeah. off, and so he kind of got, and he didn't play them. Like, Terry played fifty percent of snaps at Ohio State. Yeah, because they wrote they, they had a lot of talent. And the skill so position. He kind of went unknown, but the, I mean, just, just kind of guy Terry is, the kind of worker he is, the the teammate, the leader. Do you, I really am really impressed by Terry. He was I when they drafted him. I thought it was a great move because I knew all about that part. I think the the instant impact. I wasn't sure that he would make it like that. Clearly, listen, he went over 100 yards. It's, I mean, Docs never did that. But I ne I was not expecting that kind of a game. But you knew what he could do and what they felt he could do. I just didn't know we'd see it right away. I didn't know if they'd have time to throw those passes some of the time too. Yeah, and you got to give the offensive line yeah. some credit last week as well. Yeah. And guys like Donald Penn and. You know, wasn't always pretty. It's well, funny. It wasn't always pretty, and but no. listen, there's times I'm watching flowers, and I even put I tweeted this out the other day where the hands, his contact is up around the above the shoulder pads, and his hands are up here. But he recovered on that play. He's a pretty athletic, dude. Flowers. He is when he wants to move his feet, and then there's other times where I see him like, why aren't you moving your like? Sometimes he gets caught running after the guy versus moving his. You know what I'm saying? I do know exactly what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, but like, but when you see him do it right, it's like, well, now I know why. Now you know why they think they're trying to make it work with him at that position. Yeah, I think there's so, no doubt. And I think yeah. that they, they have some opportunities there. They got to be better though. With penalties. Yes. You know they they do. I, I there were a couple. I'm moving back again. No, that's they a, have to be better with penalties. Forward, okay. Yeah. I thought you know they're gonna say that. Some of the holds aren't holds. They're not. I'll tell you the one. They're they're going to get one play back. The Donald Penn, the first hold Donald Penn had, it wasn't a hold. Oh yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, one yeah. the NFL is going to turn over. The DeAndre rushing kind of fell down, and then Donald pumped yeah. him and drove him to the ground. Yeah. That one was not a hold. You're not going to get the first Morgan Moses hold back in a run. He had his hands up and yeah. outside. You're not going to get the second Morgan Moses penalty out on the toss sweep. It looked like he tackled him. I can freeze frame it, and you can see Morgan's right. arm around the. the DB's leg, and you're not getting the high-low block back. And the high-low block was insane. That's a to that's a toss away, and Flowers uh, Flowers in no way. We were just talking about him. That's what's sparked, and he knows this. In no way should he have hung on the defensive end. He should have just took off running upfield on an angle to go block the linebacker. And Donald's cutting the defensive end, and it doesn't matter. It's toss away. The defensive and he got end a first down, and then instead of first and, and ten, yeah, second sixteen. That was a that was a ball breaker play. I mean, and then it was the play that preceded or two plays before the one I mentioned earlier where Case probably got a shot to burn down the sideline yes. to change that drive and yep. get back into rhythm. And, the, and like you said, every time Philly had that, they did that. Last thing I want to focus on, on Dallas's offense, and I don't know how much you've been able to watch of Dallas so far and what Dak did um, against the Giants. Did you see a different guy because you have a new offense coordinator with Kellen Moore and then the Dak in his, you know, what is his fourth year now or whatever. Did you see anything different out of him? I saw a guy that had control of the pocket and was poised and made some unbelievable throws. And maybe it is – it's, it's so wild to watch the evolution of quarterbacks because maybe that offense was so simplistic over years one and years two, year two because they didn't feel that Dak was ready to make right. some of those bigger plays and to read defenses and timing out better than they it had. Time. You know. Maybe that was a sense that they'd had, and that's why it was. So, the offense was so basic in Dallas in his mm -hmm. first two years, and they got 
big plays and they got things going because of the run game and what and that you could did. Extend and, too. And, but there were so many times that they had third and five that they converted quick post to Cole Beasley or some easy third and five play where you're like, this is install 101 stuff and you're getting this against people and they know it's coming. But Dak made some huge plays. The other thing I was thinking about as I was watching that game is that game plan started to go together before they believed Ezekiel Elliott was going to play in that game. Yeah. And so I was thinking maybe a part of this game plan is to push the ball hard down the field against the Giants secondary who's a little bit weaker and not to implement a heavy run load in the game plan because you don't know if you have your one back. And right. so you, you didn't know exactly when. Maybe they had a better field than anybody else, but well, that game plan started to go together three weeks ago. Absolutely. And the, the other thing for these guys is now you've got <laughs> – Elliot gets the rust off, so to speak, and now you got to – you know, then you show that pass game, and now coming in here, he's going to feel one week further along in his process, and this passing game is going to feel off the charts because of what it showed the other day. Yeah, the, the scariest thing is if – that can drop back and throw the ball in first and ten situations or second and four situations where they create real diversity. You don't say run or play action. Right. You say we got to worry about some drop back stuff. It's a problem. He's a he's a he's a talented kid. He's a leader. He's a good player. I, I was not as high on him as a, at first as as I think I've become. But he's grown and he's. he's I've always liked his points. You know what? He's one. He, he's. A, I liked his whole deal through college. I, I can't remember exactly what his two degrees were, but it was like sports management and leadership <laughs> was his main. It's like he had a master's yeah. in like some yeah. leadership. It was like he went to college to be a pro quarterback. Yeah. I've always thought what yeah. he did in college if I had a son that was going to play true. quarterback. You're like, look at this. Yeah. You know you're a quarterback. You want to be a quarterback. Learn how to be a leader. Learn how to be. But I always liked the way he was in the was in the pocket. Even his rookie year against against these guys, I felt like he had a, showed a lot of poise. And it's like you can build off some of that stuff and, and as, as the rest of his game develops. Because so. you either have that or you don't, it seems. So, but we'll see. So let, we'll, we'll see what happens. Chris, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Joe. After this break, I'll be back with Redskins tight end Vernon Davis talking about the emotions of playing after learning about his grandfather's death. Welcome back. Now, here's my interview with Vernon Davis. How hard was it to play in that opener? Um, it was extremely tough. I didn't, I didn't think I was going to play, to tell you the truth. I just, I mean, I, only, I, I think I got about three hours of sleep that night, and then when I got out there, I felt really weak. I felt like I had my strength. Um, but it was something about that, that very first play that we had. I, just, I was just so eager to get in the end zone. So when I caught the ball, I just turned up field, and I... And all I could do is react. Well, and that's why I say it's like sometimes you get carried by something else. Yeah, yeah. I felt like it was, um, yeah, at that moment once I got the ball in my hand, I felt like I was strong. I didn't feel weak. Um, but throughout the game, I, you know, when I didn't have the ball in my hands or if I was just sitting down on the bench or something, I just felt like uh, I didn't have a lot of energy. You know what I mean? Is it is it hard to, that's such a, Football's a game. It's your livelihood, but it's a game. Right. That's real life. Is it hard when you're on the bench to not think of it? I, can't, I mean, are you able to focus just on the game? 
Yeah, yeah. I, um, yeah, you're allowed to fo- you're you're allowed to focus. I definitely focus, but I can feel that the pain and you know the trauma that I had to go through from seeing his body walking into the house and seeing his body. And when did when did that happen? Was that Friday night? So Friday, I got the call from my grandmother. She called me crying, and you know I grew up in Northwest right. DC. They still live in the same house that I grew up in. Um, as I was on the way on my way to get on the, to meet these meet them okay. at the uh, airport. Oh, well, okay. at the facility to go to the airport. She called me, so I turned around, went to the house. He was there. He was there. His body was there for about two hours because they had to do like uh, their due diligence, right. investigate, make sure everything was natural cost. And I just had the opportunity to spend time with him. You, you. I remember, like I told you, when we talked about your acting and all that. Sometimes you, you talk, think about growing up and all that, and what they meant to you, and mm-hmm. how you would incorporate that. What, what do you, what are your I mean, it's, I know there's probably a lot to process, but some of your favorite memories, what kind of person was he and how did he shape you? He's a great person. He's the best father, grandfather, motivation, inspiration, whatever you want to call it. He was all of that because he showed me pretty much what I had to do to, to be a good person, be a good man. You know what I mean? How to be someone that takes care of the house. He was a blue collar guy, he was a maintenance man, he worked in apartment buildings, changing light bulbs, fixing everything, he's really hands on. So I learned, I used to go to go at, at night, he used to go uh, do his runs on the, oh, on really? the apartment building. Yeah, so I used to go with him. And uh, that's where I learned a lot about like uh, changing uh, different things, uh, filters, and, all kinds of stuff. All, homeowner stuff too. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. Cool. And I also learned that like he taught me to like I have a habit of like just before the night is over, if I'm downstairs or upstairs, before the night is over, I go out through the house and check everything. I go downstairs and make sure the doors are locked and uh, just a lot, a lot a lot of those things that you're supposed to have, those those qualities that you're supposed to have as a man when it comes to the house. I learned that from him. And that's you, how much? I know it's very soon still, but how much you take comfort in all of that? Uh, or is it too soon for to even go to that point yet? Yeah, I mean it's also everything. So I don't know. It's just so um, it just happened. So right. still processing everything. You know, it's funny, too, because, like, people don't always realize, I mean, you guys are real people. You have real things oh, yeah. going on. And so you never know what somebody on the field is going through. They Like, nobody knew this was going on. And, like, after your play, I think people thought you got hurt. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? But, like, people, you guys have things to deal with just like anybody else. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know? Emotions and everything. We're, we're just human beings. Just we're just human. regular people. So you, one other thing, too, we're talking about going back to the hurdling of the play and making a rough transition with the football. But you talked about, too, like, because you take care of yourself. How much is that going to, like somebody was asking me yesterday on the radio, I was like, how is this guy able to do this? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, 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 mean, I know I've seen you, I know how you work and all that, but what is it that you do that you feel helps you still be able to make a move like that and still have the speed you do? Just being consistent. Yeah, I've never had any severe injuries. I've never suffered from anything other than a concussion. Um, I get three massages a week. I've been doing that for the last 14 years. Okay. Uh, I see my chiropractor weekly. Uh, proper nutrition and um, making sure I'm in a good place mentally. I've been super consistent with that throughout my entire career. And, and one thing, like I tell the younger guys, 
everything that you do during the season, make sure you do it during the offseason. Right. Like, if you're getting those massages, do them during the offseason. Don't stop. Never stop. And the way you work to get to this point, continue to work that way. And that's what I've been doing. I still run, I still get on the track during the offseason. Um, I lift the same way I used to lift when I was in high school and college. So I just never changed anything. It's funny because I'm going to go back to your grandfather that. And my guess is that some of that you may have gotten from there. It sounds like he was someone who was just very consistent with his approach and the way he did things. He was. He's very consistent with his approach. I mean, from the time... I mean, from the time I was a, uh, from the time I was one, all the way up until I can remember, 18, 19, he was still walking around the house checking those doors and make sure taking the garbage out and just being a man of the house. You know, he's super consistent, hard work. Like I said, blue collar. Uh, never asked for anything. Did everything. Worked his worked his worked worked himself and, and just provided for himself, never asked for a handout or anything. So all those qualities I, I pretty much learned from him. After this break, I'll be back to answer your questions about the Redskins. Okay, now it's just you and I with some podcast mailbag questions. Let's get right to it. Adam Aniba at the BNG Report wants to know, any word if Chris Thompson, he says CT, but it's Chris Thompson, will have a bigger role in the offense this week. Seems like Jay is always too cautious with CT. All right, Adam, here we go. Thompson played 36 out of the 58 snaps last week. That's a pretty good chunk for, for Chris Thompson. He was targeted 10 times in the passing game. Caught seven passes, ran three times, so 10 touches overall. In their ideal world, they'd like to get him between 12 and 15 touches per game. So, yeah, you could see him maybe being used a little bit more in this game or get get a few more touches. But to be honest, every time Thompson plays, I hear both sides. Every time he's used more than 10 times, some people freak out. How can you use him that much? Um, and I don't think it's about being cautious here. Well, maybe it is, but it's also about being smart. Thompson's a small guy who plays hard, plays physical, doesn't shy away from contact, and keep in mind how often he's in pass pro too. All that takes a pounding. It adds up. So it takes a toll. If he touched it more than 15 times per game, I think his, his effectiveness would start to diminish. That's and, and plus, there's no way. I don't think he'd last the season. Now, he doesn't last the season anyways, or he has in the last couple years. But I think you give him a better chance in that 12 to 15 range. So I think that's, again, that's the ideal number. And if he's not hitting that, then I think there's something wrong because he can be a playmaker for them. Okay, next question, and it's from Blacksmith Skins Fan. Um, he says, do, do you personally think Kevin O'Connell is as good as advertised? Well, we've only seen one game with him as the offensive coordinator and still Jay Gruden calling the plays. I do think O'Connell's a sharp guy, and I do think he has had an influence on this passing game on the offense in general. I don't know that he's a Sean McVay part two, but I do see him as another head coach. And I say that because with McVay, it was obvious early on that he's going to be a young head coach. I could see O'Connell maybe taking a couple more years, um, more, you know, but I do think that, that he's going to get that chance. He's smart. He's inquisitive. He's been around a lot of other smart people, including Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, guys like that. But let's see what he does for an entire season in this role. I do think he's off to a good start. I do think he has a good reputation 
around the league. So that's that's good for them. So you know who knows what's going to happen here in the future, but you know he will, he will be a name to watch moving forward here and in the NFL. All right, number three, Antoine Knapp. He wants to know what is the relationship between Jay and the locker room. Has he lost it? Odds of him finishing the season as the head coach. All right, Antoine. Before last week, I would say the relationship was was very good. I do know there are some players who aren't happy. I know of one in particular. I hear from his agent quite a bit. Um, however, I feel the locker room largely likes Gruden and wants to play for him. Now, last week was interesting because of the AP stuff, obviously. I did ask one player who loves Peterson if guys were angry because that's the way it was coming across, or at least you know some of the post-game comments, what Morgan Moses said. And this player said, no, they're not angry. They were just really surprised at what happened. I know what Morgan Moses said, and I understand exactly where Moses is coming from. And, you know, part of me says, hey, you just got to go play better. Let those guys make the decisions. But the other part of me says it speaks to the respect that they have for, for Peterson. And as a guy who blocked from all year, saw what he did for that team, I, I get where he's coming from. I don't take it, though, that Gruden lost the room. However, where I definitely think Gruden hurts himself is with comments like the 55 carries out of I formation. I think there's a lack of transparency that also hurts here. I'd say that needs to improve, but I don't think it's going to change. Um, and by transparency, I mean sometimes like with guys maybe not knowing exactly what the role is or what's going to happen or whatever. In a situation like this, I think he would have helped himself if he had gone to the team, if he had um, gone to the team and just said, hey, listen, we're making decisions for what I feel is best for this team. And I think guys can always say, well, I disagree with it, but at least I know where he's coming from. I think it helps when players know where a guy is coming from. And I think that's where Gruden hurts himself sometimes with some with some guys. Um, but again, I do think it seems like that, they've all, that he's had the locker room. So um, I would expect him to finish the season, but I really have no way of knowing that one way or another. But I know after they fired North Turner in the, late in the season, I think I think I think uh, Dan Snyder realized that that was the wrong timing. But every situation different, so I really don't know. Um, Keith Vieira wants to know. Keith Vieira Jr. wants to know. John, do you believe that if Peterson excels in his next few starts, that he has a chance to take the job for the season from Geis? I don't know about that. I, I think we have to wait and see what happens. I would think, if nothing else, to me, it demands that he stays active, that Gruden finds a way to help special teams with someone other than a fourth running back, or you keep four running backs active. If AP goes out and does well, and the team wins a couple of games, I don't know how you turn away from Peterson. I really don't. I know they love what they think a Geist can do, but he hasn't done it, and he's been hurt in two of the three games he's played in Washington. It's not as if the players don't like Geist, but they love and respect Peterson for what he's done and what they feel he can still do. I'll call it a hunch that Peterson remains upset with Gruden. That's okay as long as he takes it to the field and conducts himself in a professional manner. And that's what has happened this, from the time this has happened to now. Peterson has been nothing but professional. I think that's where other players will take their cue as well. I would be, ups I would be upset with Gruden too, as much for how it was handled, as well as for his post-game comments. I just, but I don't think that um, that's going to rub off 
I think Peterson will conduct himself well. But again, I know that wasn't your question. Um, I, I think it has to, if not, like I said, if nothing else, keep him active, and, and that should be a no-brainer. Um, Strict9 wants to know, a couple of Skins media guys have implied that it's Minuski whose seat is the hottest. Do I agree? If he lets go, get, gets let go in season, who's likely to take over, Rob or Ray? And that would be Rob Ryan or Ray Horton. Yes, I would agree that Minuski has the hottest seat for no other reason than he was the one they tried to replace in the offseason. I doubt he's let go during the season, though, and it's hard for me to speculate as to who would take over. I don't know. And again, I don't have a definitive answer on, on, on that, on either part of he would let go. Um, if it was me, I'd pick Ray Horton. I don't see Rob Ryan having had a lot of success as a coordinator in the past. Um, I do know one guy who played for him who liked him better as a coordinator than as a position coach. So I don't know. Um, I also wonder if Minuski was fired, what would happen to Jim's Tom Sula? Not that Washington would want him gone by any means. Tom Sula is a terrific coach, but a big reason he returned was because of Minuski. All right, let's go on to Ivan Lambert. This will be the last question. And he wants to know which, dra- which 2019 draft pick looks the best, which looks most disappointing, and the same for 2018. Ivan, the most disappointing, well, it's too early to say that because there, guys. I had one guy ask me if Montez Sweat was a bust. He played one game. He's a pass rusher, and Cooley and I talked about him earlier. It takes time. So I'm just going to stick for right now in this group as to who looks best because this is a really good class. It's only one game, again, but I think we all saw what happened Sunday. The two who stood out were obviously Cole Holcomb and Terry McLaurin, and I think those two – are, have, will probably separate themselves more than the other rookies for at least a little bit. I love their approach. I think they're both very professional, studious, and guys who will develop into team leaders eventually. I have liked Cole Holcomb from the minute we started seeing him in camp, and I watched him, I'm thinking, why did this guy fall to where he did? Um, but he did, and I think they're going to benefit, and I think we saw Sunday a glimpse of what he's going to do. I think he's going to be a good one. And I really, really love McLaurin, not just because he's from Ohio State. It's because I got to know him from following him at Ohio State and know what he's about. That's why I like him. Um, So I think he's going to be good. And I like the way he's improved as a receiver, even from over the last year. So I really like the potential of this class. I think they found guys to help now while waiting for the 15th overall pick at Dwayne Haskins to develop. And it's funny because one of the reasons that some people there did not want a quarterback 15 was because they wanted a guy now who could make an impact. They found some just in later rounds. They found several of them. And that doesn't always happen. And I think you can look at last year's class as an example. And as for last year, the disappointing part to me, I don't know if there's one guy in particular, is more so it's, it's that the players picked in rounds two, three, and four have done little to help them, and that's Darius Geis, Jaron Christian, and Troy Apke. Geis's injuries, excuse me, have been disappointing. Christian and Apke were just drafted too high. At least Apke can help on special teams because of his speed, and he'll be a backup. I don't know that he's going to be a good backup, but I know he can play special teams, and I saw some. you saw some of that speed. To me, I saw it when I watched the game again, how it impacted their I have, my, I have some severe doubts on Christian. Um, the best rookie from that group, I mean, I, Deron Payne has been pretty good. Um, and I think he'll continue to be very good. So I like him. And I'm going to be really curious to see what Trey Quinn does all season because Quinn can be an all-around receiver. Watch, Go back and watch the game last week and watch some of his blocks. 
The catches you were going to all see, but watch his blocking. It's pretty good. So there you go. That's the podcast mailbag. And that's all you get from me this week. Thank you very much to Chris Cooley for joining me and giving me his time. Is very generous. Thank you to Vernon Davis. I know it was not an easy topic for him to talk about. And as always, thank you for your questions and thank you for listening.